Hi, Greg Perry, the historic preservationist. <clears throat> this episode is going to uh, kind of circulate around wood carving, um, primarily wood carving for architecture. So, you know, replacing uh, corbels or anything like that. So, uh, so we, we all appreciate the special warmth and ambiance of ornamental wood carving, which adds to an old house. The uh, texture and character of the wood creates kind of a unique glow. Um, while the carved designs add style and three-dimensional richness to any surface. Much arc, uh, ornamental wood carving is heavily detailed and geometrically complex, yet it is quite delicate as well. The numerous small pieces are highly susceptible to breakage over the years. It's just, it's, it's normal, it's, you know, it's uh, human nature, it's usage of the house and things like that. So and the materials have a... Um, a finite bonding and uh, the protective ability so they're not that durable you know the finer the carving the more susceptible they're going to be to shock and things like that so kind of as a result many old homes would contain carved woodwork that is in need of minor repairs um, if if anybody out there is handy with wood these repairs you can kind of do for yourself small replacement pieces when applying them to the originals so, you know, usually just the, the type of glue and, uh, you know, sometimes for the homeowner, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the glues. So, and primarily what we're talking about is relief carving. So that's taking the, the motif and essentially lowering the background down and making what you're carving stand up, relieving it. So prepare the work. Any restorer's initial job is to assess the project and determine what kinds of repairs are needed. So we need to look for, in broken carvings, look for chips, crumbled edges, and broken or missing features. So any time in your life, in, in the ornamental carving or any kind of carving, that you say, oh, here's, a, here's something on the floor, what is it? It's a piece of wood. Tape it. Just get some blue tape or green tape and tape it to the object so at a later time you can address it properly. Even that goes for veneer. And I'm sure a lot of the people out there listening to this, listening to this uh, podcast have house cleaners. And uh, house cleaners tend to get the, uh, some of those frilly things with feathers caught when dusting on veneer. And they, they pull a piece off. So, you know, so school your house, uh, or your house cleaners appropriately also. So, however, um, pieces that are broken off will need to be replaced in kind. Also carefully note the design. Um, generally, you'll need a copy of the pattern to replace missing pieces. This is if we have to have them created, if we're doing them or someone else is. Most ornamental work is symmetrical, and a house often contains a design theme that is repeated throughout the rooms. Uh, be sure to check fireplace mantles, entryways, and front porches for the design. These are not all interior-type carvings, but some exterior. You also want to determine the type of carving you're facing. The typical old home uh, may have more than one. Relief carving is a raised ornamental design carved into a solid background. Pierce carving is similar to raised carving, but has a design cut entirely through the wood. Carving in the round. This includes finials and other freestanding wood sculpture. It's not as common in residential interiors though, carving in the round. Relief carving are 
carvings are typically applied the same way to the architectural woodwork, while piercing carving is frequently secured by moldings in a frame. Consequently, you can often remove the entire carved section to make repairs. And I tend to use a very wide, stiff putty knife with a, uh, with a very large, wide chisel, maybe two to three inches, so I don't uh, quote booger up or do any denting to the surrounding surfaces as I'm prying. How pierce carving repairs proceed often depends on the size of the detail. If the damage section is substantial, the replacement wood will be large enough to clamp to a level work surface for shaping and later attachment. Very small pieces, however, cannot be clamped without slipping, so very difficult. Um, sometimes you, uh, you have these very small pressure clamps that you can buy, use with your thumbs. Um, and these very small pieces, however, yeah, it can't be, uh, you have the slipping issue there, but therefore wood must be applied prior to carving and repairs completed on the original panel. In these cases, you want to remove the whole section of ornament for the repair work. Let's just, um, let's just back off for a minute. Let's talk about adhesives. So, um, you know, modern wood carvers uh, have high glue, and that's what I use, white or yellow glue, carpenter's glue, tight bond, Elmer's, um, and these are alphatic resin glues. Poly polyurethane glues are no-nos, and epoxies are no-nos for this. They're just not compatible. It's not good sympathetic conservation or restoration work. Um, but you have people out there that use them. I mean, the homeowners tend to buy whatever is uh, unfortunately advertised the best. Advertise the best, yes. Epoxies, so they bond well, they resist water, and they're quick to cure. Um, particularly the five-minute epoxy products are particularly good for small pieces. And, on, and again, this is just geared to the happy homeowner that cannot be clamped. You can simply hold the piece, and then in a couple minutes, it'll be already glued. So you're not worried about the clamping issue. Uh, if you're not concerned with historical accuracy, use high glue. And keep in mind that uh, it's much more difficult to use. Apply adhesive to the original detail and the new wood, then clamp the wood into place, taking to align the grain of the original wood perfectly. Protect the existing carving from clamp marks by cushioning the jaws with small rubber cardboard, or I tend to use cork. So that's our little uh, once-over on glue. So let's, uh, let's get back to the main gist here. So dealing with these broken details, it often pays to remove the broken details. So sometimes something's broken, it's just hanging on by a couple of wood fibers or threads. Kind of pull it away. A step is a step that is not as drastic as it sounds. Most carving is applied to the background woodwork with small finish nails or high glue or both. And if this carving has been there for a number of years, say over 50 years, the high glue has tend to uh, lost its it's adhesive strength, so you can get under there and really uh, pry. Um, these are generally easier removed, again, using a stiff putty knife and uh, a fulcrum, such as a, a pro small pry bar. After which, uh, the detail should just pop off. Simply wedge the chisel between the carving and its background and the putty knife, and then tap with a chisel or a mallet to dislodge the ornament. If the detail does not loosen easily, leave it on. So we don't want to cause any more damage to the ornament. If the detail is not, um, yeah, so leaving it on 
Instead, cut off the broken end so that the new piece of wood can be added. So, so here I'm talking about something that's maybe lost and it has a, a not a square end. We need to square an end up with the chisel. It's rare that a break will ever be even. Uh, more likely it'll have a jagged edge that is no, uh, that has to be straightened before new wood can be attached properly. So use a saw or small chisel to cut back and even all the edges into a flat surface. If the break is in a corner, the two sides must be squared. If you're <coughs> working with relief carving, the background needs to be flattened so that the new wood can be properly glued. Use a chisel to scrape or cut away any wood that remains against the board. So now we're going to try to copy the design. If your ornamentation repeats thoroughly throughout your house and you're able to find out a complete pattern, use tracing paper to copy it. Outside lines are most important because they create a framework that highlights the design. If you cannot determine a pattern, consult one of the several design books that include traditional carving patterns. And uh, I'm sure you can find these online. If all else fails, trust your own creativity and make a freehand drawing. It does not have to be perfect. All you need is a rough outline to follow. And uh, this, this is difficult to find, but use carbon paper to transfer the design onto the new wood. Carbon paper is one of those archaic dying breeds of uh, supplies. Lay the carbon paper on the wood, then tape the design over so it, that it will not slip. Trace the design, taking extra care with the outline. Tools and tool handling. You only need a few tools for simple carving. I mean, uh, I can carve a bust for a high boy. When I say a bust, it's from the probably the chest up, dealing with probably eight Swiss-made carving tools. So you don't need a lot of coals to tools to do this basic, basic carving that you would find in houses. Um, for, for simple carving, several sizes of gouges are needed to establish the outline of the carving and body. Uh, a V-parting tool used to excavate wood within the field of the carving <clears throat> and add a pencil-like detail, such as leaf veins, is essential. Woodworking stores, and I would recommend Woodcraft, um, sell standard sets of 12 gouges adequate for the needs, but um, again, do some research. Those 12 gouges, you'll probably never use the other eight gouges and you'll be wasting your money. And uh, if you're buying those kind of tools in a set, but with they're available, you know, you probably for uh, $100 or $125, I'd rather spend $200 and get four, four to five great tools that you'll have if you ever plan or need to do this again. Proper tool handling is vital for effective control, and this is with anything in life, and precision must be adhered to when carving. Hold tool handles within your writing hand, the hand that will supply the carving muscle. Wrap the fingers of your other hand around the middle of the tool, positioning as an evenly over the steel shank of the handle. You're almost produ producing a... Um, a uh, just imagine that you're hugging a telephone pole and you're holding the carving tool. So you, you just imagine putting your hands around the pole and your, uh, your writing hand is at the top of the tool and your other hand is at the mid or shank of the steel of the tool. And that, so you're almost forming like a, a zero or O with your body, with your arms. The palm rests on the wood um, of the 
non-hand that you normally use, guiding the tool and acting as a fulcrum. Otherwise, if you try to do this and just pushing, you're going to end up slipping and possibly cutting yourself or damaging other areas of the, uh, of the relief carving. We don't want to do that. Cutting with the grain of the wood is one of the most important skills in carving. You have to understand the grain is like a roadmap, and you'll never be successful without learning that. Wood grain reflects the growth pattern of the tree, often carving, curving I'm sorry, and changing in the space of the wood block. So it may not be always possible to follow the shape, the line of design by cutting in the wood grain. You may have to double back, come in from the other way. It's very difficult to explain until you start to experience this. And most of this can be experienced with a V-tool for outlining. So do some practice with that V-tool um, before you do anything and you'll start to understand the way the grain drives. Examine the grain pattern to determine the cutting direction. The best way to get a feel for grain orientation is practice. Here's where an old piece, uh, like a 2x4, would come in handy. If you're carving properly, the wood cuts easily and smoothly, and the tool leaves a neat, shiny edge. If, on the other hand, the tool catches and digs into the wood, you're probably not, you're only working against the grain, not with the grain, so you need to change direction. So let's talk about repair techniques. The damage that most older carvings have suffered is relatively minor. Wear marks, crumbled edges, and similar, similar injuries to the outline. Uh, the only attention that may be required is to clean up or even the outside edges and make a flat spot, as we said earlier. Position the gouge over the outside line and using a mallet. Cut straight down to clean away any rough edges. Use this technique to straighten it all crumbled and rough edges and to redefine the entire outline as you've done with your carbon paper. When working with the relief carving, follow the same procedure, but cut deeper into the wood. So let me just avert, and let's just look at some woods for a minute before we continue on. Uh, it should be very easy to determine wood species for your particular region. So remember, your house was made with woods that would, back in the day, uh, 100 years ago, would be made lo relatively local, probably within uh, 20 or 30 miles of that. So for instance, in New England, for example, there would be three common woods that predominate for relief and pierce carving in the home, white oak, pine, and black walnut. Black walnut is known for its rich, dark brown color and tight grain pattern. It is the most prestigious of all carving woods and the least common of all three. Oak has always been popular for carving because of its handsome character, as well as its exceptional durability and strength. The grain pattern was thought to add a special depth to carving, and it was considered very desirable. When matching, look for a white-colored wood with a strong, even grain pattern. Pine is so soft and easy to carve, it's a dream, but sometimes it's hard uh, through the wearing, normal life wearing to maintain its sharp edges. And also its abundance made it cheaper uh, than the regal oak and it is very common in residential woodwork. Pine, a yellow warm looking wood, is also noted for its lack of grain patterns through its swirling sap lines are visible. But I must say, um, being a, a very colonial uh, uh, conservator, 
Uh, I would much prefer pine over oak. I consider oak something that came in in late Victorian as more of a peasant wood. So after you determine the wood species, measure the area that needs to be repaired. Adding a f always add a few extra inches on either side for waste and for clamping purposes. Although the original wood was almost certainly air-dried, kiln-dried wood is highly acceptable for this application. Likewise, a flat sawn or quarter sawn cut will do. It really doesn't matter for a small piece of carving. It is possible that a salvage yard will have an appropriate wood. If not, buy new stock from a supplier such as Woodcraft or someone who sells boat hardwoods. Either way, order a little bit extra so you can do some practicing prior to getting into this. So when the, when the damage is more severe, pieces of wood or entire elements of the carving are missing. In these cases, you have to create a, new pieces. Use a, you're going to have to use a saw of some sort. You could use like a, um, you know, a, a jigsaw to cut out the outline of the shape of the element. I don't do that generally unless it's huge. I'll actually cut out with the carving tools. Once the outline is, quote, set in, which means established, you have the newly cut shape. Use the parting tool to draw and etch the interior lines. Like a pencil, sketch and step outlines to the inside pattern. After the design is outlined, the inside shape is ready to be carved. Use a gouge to rough out interior forms by cutting out the shapes. Leave the detailing for a later step, so that obviously your detailing is the final step. First cut the hollow shapes, starting from the center and working out. Carve in long sweeps, holding the rounded side of the gouge down. Carve forward, that is, away from you, never carve toward you, when making hollow or concave forms. The convex shapes carve down and inward, holding the hollow or rounded side of the gouge up. You may need to go to another type of gouge if possible. When the body has been roughed out of the, of the carving, use a smaller gouge to refine the cuts and fill in the detail. This procedure will shape the design and give it a sense of continuity and flow. So with all carvings, lifelike carvings, leaves, vineage, trees, when you're carving, flow is essential. It can't be choppy and you can't have right angles. Lightly sand the surface of your new creation in order to smooth out sharp edges. Don't worry about getting the crevices. They, will, they are way too delicate to withstand heavy sanding. Traditional wood carvers left chisel marks on their work, so you can even skip this step. So let's talk about the finishing touches. There are <clears throat> three main options for wood stains. Water-based stains give a deep, even tone to wood. However, they are not ideal because the water causes the wood to expand and raise the grain, which in turn alters the smooth, even texture of the carvings. Alcohol-based stains, like water stains, and we've talked about all this before, emphasizes the wood grain, but they will not lift the grain as aggressively. They'll lift it just a tad bit, but not as aggressively. Oil-based stains add the most depth, but you have the least amount of control, in my opinion. And they add uh, kind of a different element of warmth to carving by sinking deep, probably an eighth inch into the, the surface of the wood and bringing out the natural wood highlights. But again, difficult to pull that color out with an oil grain if you think it's too dark. If you have a large job and cannot find the exact shade you need, uh, bring a small piece of broken element to the hardware store or your, your favorite wood shop. 
where the stain can be custom mixed. If the job is too small, your best bet is to purchase several different stain colors in half pint packages or cans of dry powder for alcohol or water stains. Blend the colors and test on scrap wood. I must say, don't get frustrated. This could take this could take several hours to get to where you need to be, but it's a great learning experience if you haven't worked with this type of colorations. Stains can be used alone or in any combination. I mean, you could put an oil stain down and put a water stain over it or an alcohol stain over it if you want to continually shade in. One method which is helpful when an exact color match is needed is to even the wood tone first by applying a, a water or alcohol stain. Then after this coat is dried, apply the oil stain to bring out the highlights and add luster to the new work. For greater control of absorption and color tone, combine an alcohol stain and liquid shellac, say a one-to-one -one ratio. The shellac seals the wood so that the stain can easily be wiped off when the desired shade is reached. As you stain, allow time and for the color to soak into the wood, probably 10 to 15 minutes before wiping it off with a cloth. The longer the stain is left in place, the deeper the tone and highlights it brings to the wood. Traditional carvers use varnish to seal the stain and protect their work. Today, varnishing remains a necessary procedure that can ensure long life of new woodwork. I hate to say this, but for the homeowner, probably the water-based polyurethane finishes, although very resilient, give a highly synthetic appearance to wood, um, but that's probably best for the homeowner. Instead, I try old-time varnishes and shellac uh, that are still available on shelves, but made possibly only available online or through certain outlets in England. The varnishes are made with natural resins that will complement your artistry, help restore the wood's original luster, and give the carving its character and charm. And I just want to go back to these different uh, finishing and colors. Um, just think of, if, if you're planning to do... Um, use multitude of venues of solvents. We talked about water, alcohol, or oil. Just uh, think about using a very washed coat of shellac, maybe um, diluted by 75%. This just adds barriers. So when, I build, when I'm working on a finish, I consider I'm building a finish. I put a finish down, I put a, a color down, I put a barrier of, say, of a dilute shellac down, and then I'm building another color, and a barrier of shellac. So I'm, I'm put building in almost protection that I don't go too far and destroy something that I've uh, worked so hard to get to, particularly the carving itself. So, um, But let me just uh, finish up here. We're just going to talk just a little bit about uh, carving throughout the centuries, and then we're going to end this episode because I actually have to get doing some wood carving today. Traditionally, uh, ornamental carving was an indulgence only for the wealthy appearing in entryways, hallways, and dining rooms. However, it was not confined to large or expensive homes, and many modest old houses have some type of carving. Until the Gothic revival of the mid-19th century, most residential carving was classical in design. North Americans generally followed the styles that were popular in Europe, and Europeans favored classical Greek and Roman motifs like grape leaves, acanthus leaves, and volutes. These are the swirls in the form of ionic capitals. Carvers copied patterns that appeared in plan books, adding little innovation or new design. Thus, many homes pr built prior to 1850 
have similar by-the-book classical patterns. And we talked about design books earlier in one of our episodes, like Thomas Chippendale. The Gothic Revival period brought closer, more creative styles that were influenced by medieval symbolism, as well as natural patterns. Gargoyles, angels, devil's heads, and foliage became very popular at this time. It was the Victorian period, however, that made carved woodwork an inherent interior element. The ornament, often excessive decor of this era, lent itself well to the intricate patterns, and most Victorian homes have some type of wood carving. Animal and human forms, as well as oak leaves, acorns, and foliage designs are common to the Victorian home. Towards the end of the 19th century, other architectural styles continued to utilize ornamental carving and many Art Nouveau-inspired arts and crafts and Tudor homes have some ornamental work. By the 20th century, though, the craft was decreasing and house styles moved towards greater simplicity and away from rich interior decoration like carving. And hence today we have multitudes of housing developments. The uh, Plasticville USA has arrived, the plastic home. So hopefully everyone has enjoyed this segment of wood carving. We're going to We've touched very little on wood carving and sculpting. Uh, it's, it's a very difficult subject to talk vis-a-vis podcast, but we're going to, uh, in the future, try and uh, incorporate some, uh, some variants into the podcast with this subject. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Greg Perry, signing out, The Historic Preservationist.